You're listening to the Viral Volley Podcast Podcast. Now here's your host, Rob, on the mic. Hey, good day, everyone. I'm Rob Espero with the Viral Volley Podcast. And uh, as always, it's kind of weird to say we're ready at the finale of the 2021 D- Division One Two Men's Volleyball season. Uh, with me, I've got David Hunter Pepperdine, Jay Hosick of George Mason, Dan Friend of Lewis, and representing the Big West and UC San Diego head coach Kevin Ring. Thanks for coming on again uh, these, uh, this today. <clears throat> So uh, I'm going to start off with probably uh, one of the big uh, matches of the year, and that's with our guest coach, our, uh, Kevin Rink from UC San Diego. Uh, your team was able to do something that no other team has been able to do this year and do it in Hawaii, but upset the number one seed, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors in Hawaii in the semifinals of the Big West Tournament. Can you talk about that moment of this season? Yeah, you know, it- you know, we play such a, a tough regular schedule, you know, in, in the Big West. We only played Big West opponents this year. And uh, I think at that point we had played uh, Hawaii four times already during the year. Um, we get to the, the first match and uh, had a good victory over Cal State Northridge and kind of our first <clears throat> kind of postseason uh, victory uh, for our program. And so the guys just a, a lot of excitement from that and confidence coming for that and head into that match with uh, – Hawaii and um, just a just a really good battle. I mean, the guy, both sides played well. I mean, we I thought we served really tough that match and 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 blocked quite well. Um, and then we had good production on on the pins, and it just uh, you know pretty pretty exciting to be able to compete. You know, at that level, you know, on that stage, um, be able to pull out that victory in, in five sets. Yeah, well, it's good stuff for sure. Uh, hey, uh, other coaches, have anything to ask Kev or anything to add on, in regards to that uh, UCSD Hawaii matchup in the Big West tournament semi? Get used to it. It's going to happen a lot more often now that Kevin's got full scholarships and he's got the ability to recruit big dogs with other big dogs. Um, you know, we've we've known Kevin for years uh, since the D three days back in uh, at San Diego, way way back in the day when I was playing. Uh, and then obviously they moved up to D2 and then to D1 and then in the big West. And finally the AD, uh, and the, and the university and everybody decided to fund his program the way it should be funded. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how many he's got, but I'm assuming he's at four and a half, like everybody else. Now he can go out and recruit big players that can go into his school and make an impact immediately. The fact that his program over the years was able to beat some teams and, and, and kind of make a name for themselves as kind of an underdog to, to watch out for. It's, it's a testament to his training and how he runs his gym. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a real program change that you're going to start to see a lot more often in the top 15 and in the top 10. And don't be surprised in a few years, he's going to start pushing for a big West uh, championship. That's, that's a, a, a program that is fun to watch and they're on the rise. Anyone else, gentlemen? No, I just congrats to Kev. That was that was a fun match to watch. I watched that whole match and uh, these guys gutted it out. And Kevin had a great group last year, and unfortunately, all got hit by COVID. And so, and then a shortened season. So I think it was tough for any of those teams that weren't getting as many matches. And then finally, you saw that group starting to peak a little bit in terms of how they were playing and everything. And uh, and he's got a real nice group there, and a lot of those guys returning as well. And 
uh, it was a big win, a fun match to watch. And I, I know Kevin was super proud of his guys and uh, does a great job with those guys. But yeah, just uh, it's good for volleyball when you see in a match like that and not allowing a team to go undefeated. And Hawaii was really good. And they showed that at the final, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, Kevin's got a little feather in his cap saying, hey, we took those guys down, which is always nice. So, Dave, anything else to add? Yeah, obviously, Kevin, I thought the Hawaii match was great and the Santa Barbara match. And I, I'd love to know your thoughts, too, on what was the impact of playing three matches in three days? Because our team had to do that as well. And I, I have my own personal thoughts. But what were your thoughts in that format? Yeah, it's certainly uh, challenging there. And, and you know, we, we in the match with uh, Santa Barbara in the finals, we that was our third match uh, that they were the two seed heading in. So that was their second match. You know, had it been their third match and our third match, maybe it's a little different there. Um, you know, it's the way it's the tournament set up, you know, three days. And so I think the importance of kind of shows, you know, when you're playing at that level, the importance of the regular season to try to be the one or the two seed in, in, the, in the, how it's set up for the Big West, you know, with the six teams and you get the one or two seed, you get that, that kind of buy in that first round. You know, I thought just as the match were on, you know, we won the first set and kind of had some chances there in the second set up a little bit and it would have been, you know, great to go up to zero. And, and I could tell, I mean, the guys were giving us everything they had, you know, and just, you know, Kyle McCauley, Ryan Cawley, but they just took so many swings, so many jumps and, and you could kind of see, you know, fatigue set in a little bit. And I thought for us, you could see it from uh, the service line. You know, we, I thought we missed you know, kind of a higher percentage of serves than maybe we might typically miss in the, in the game there. Um, so, you know, credit Santa Barbara, they, they won the match and earned it, but uh, yeah, certainly challenging to just go and, and just the excitement for us to, to go from you, know, you beat Northridge and then you beat Hawaii and then now you got to turn around and, and do it again there. So um, yeah, tough, tough to do that, but that's the nature that we're in. Yeah. And you know what, for people that don't know, your team's always hidden and surveying. I don't think you have one of those philosophies of just get back there and miss, you know, 40 serves a match. So I, I saw it there too. All of a sudden, I thought around the end of the second set, there were more missed serves than, than you would have liked or other coaches would have liked for sure. But a nice match played by you guys. Yeah, thank you. Well, hats hey. off to you. Beginning of the season, you lose Wyatt Harrison with a pretty crazy sprained ankle that showed up on the ESPN3 feed. I mean, you could see it from a distance. That's how bad it was. But then uh, hats off to Ryan Koss stepping up this entire season and uh, really becoming a, a really good offensive uh, threat for your team. Yeah, I, think, I, I thought Ryan held up really well for us, you know, and um, again, you know, we were excited about what he could do for us this year. And we we're, of course, hoping to have, you know, Kyle McCauley and Ryan Koss and Wyatt Harrison all kind of competing and, and battling at that spot there. And, and also when Wyatt goes down, that kind of thrusts Ryan Koss kind of into that primary role and uh i thought he handled it really well and i thought he really grew as a player uh, throughout the course of the season <laughs> hey quick question um and this is for both dave and kevin um is that format staying three days going forward or is that a covid byproduct or is that a conversation happening at your meetings coming up in terms of that uh, well, that's how we've run it. Um, you know, obviously we didn't have one last year, but in 2018, 2019, and then again, you know, th this year, uh, it was set up that way. You know, six teams, we just run it over one weekend, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, so I haven't heard any specific conversations about changing that. I know, I believe, I'll let David speak. I, I think you guys in the MPSF used to run it over two different weekends, right? 
Um, and then this year you just went to one site and, and ran it this way. And I don't know if the number of teams you have in your conference next year, if that, that changes, but uh, as far as I know for us, it'll be kind of the same format. Yeah. A, a quick um, sort of brief overview for, for people listening that don't really know the MPSF used to do the quarterfinals one weekend, and then we would go to the final four uh, the next weekend. We didn't do the MEVA three weeks like Dan did this, this year, but um yeah, and what we're all seeing is, you know, us in the Big West, we have 10 conference matches. So we have to schedule, you know, don't have to, but at the max, we can schedule 18 non-conference matches. And that just gets really challenging. So uh, having that extra week uh, that's not taken up by the playoffs is really, really beneficial. So we're going to keep, we just had our conference meeting. Hopefully I don't get in trouble for this, but we just had our conference meeting yesterday. We're going to keep that one week format, but we're going to go Wednesday, Thursday, break uh friday and then the saturday would be the championship so if you are the three four five six seed you'll play two in a row which is not uncommon but then you'll have a day off and then you'll you'll go into the final if you do make it that far um i understand why we did the three days you know the big west that's what you guys have done for a few years now and uh, i understand why we did it i think it was a smart decision if we looking at all things again i would do the same thing um but it just gets to be a lot of volleyball, a lot of volleyball against really tough opponents at an emotional time uh, when everyone's trying to not make it their last match. So, yeah, yeah we, we, we also, go ahead, Jay. At, oh, sorry. Uh, we also had our league meeting yesterday uh, and we discussed the Big West model as a, as a potential moving forward. We, you know, this year, because we only had six teams, we took all six teams in and did a, a quarterfinal match on the weekend prior and then obviously the final four was at Penn State and next year we're going to have nine teams and so we decided to stay with six which I think is the right number for us but we decided to go with the Wednesday Thursday Saturday model as well it's it's you know you want to you want your best product on the floor so when people see it uh, and when the players are playing in it it's a it's a high quality match and we thought that the three days in a row Although there were some people that were trying to, to push for it, uh, it just didn't seem like we were going to be putting the right the right foot forward, so to speak. And we even talked about doing a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, uh, which was the exact opposite of what we thought would, would, would what we were trying to accomplish. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's tough. Three days in a row and then having the next week have to go out, that, that'd be really, really tough if that's the case. Yeah, I just, I'm still a fan of the the quarterfinal or whatever being the weekend and then the next weekend's your final four. I just, we, we look at the NCAA tournament and I don't know, say Santa Barbara makes the finals or Pepperdine or a Penn State or us and you get to that third day of competing in five days, the product that we're showing really diminishes, I think, in terms of that, you know, from that standpoint, uh, just where the legs are. So hopefully we get to an 18 tournament on the national level because that separates that a little bit. But I think the same thing happens in the conference tournament. I'm glad you guys are putting a day before the finals, but it's the same thing. It's like, how do we put these guys in to maximize the competition, the product and everything you're kind of showcasing in terms of that? So. Yeah, the, 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 the two th things on the front, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but expansion is on the horizon. Uh, and, and the number that we're hearing, and I, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble either, but the number that we're hearing is, is larger than we think. And I think that's pretty good. The challenge with the, with the weekend prior uh, having your quarterfinal match, for us at least, was cost and travel time. For example, if Harvard has to come down 
them play us on Saturday prior to the, the EIBA final four matchups. And let's say that they beat us and then they got to fly back home and then they got to fly out a couple days later to go down to Penn state. That's a lot of cost. It's a lot of travel away from school. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's not beneficial when you can just send everybody to the one spot, you know, and, and if you stay or if you win, you stay. And if you lose, you go home and that's it. We're over and done with. So just seemed to be a little bit more logistically simple, but you know, and we wanted the extra weekend uh, of conference play if we needed it for whatever reason. Yeah. I had a question for David Hunt with uh, the, the model you guys are going to for next year. Is that just going to be at one site uh, for the Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday? And then how are you choosing that site? Is that predetermined or is that conference winner? How are you? Guys yeah, there was some debate about that, but uh, ultimately the coaches want it to be at the conference winner because we want our 10 matches to mean something. Now it gets a little bit dicey. The, the one thing that saves it is every school other than BYU can technically drive to the other school, right? Grand Canyon's a trek, but they could drive. So um, if it's at BYU, then we're all flying or BYU, you know, doesn't know where the tournament's going to be, then they have to fly or change location or whatever it is. But um, yeah, conference winner, the coaches really wanted to make the, the regular season mean something. And um, we talked about what if the, the winner is, or the host isn't in it, or the host loses, or just the ability to put on a good event. BYU put on a great event this year. Um, you know, that was the right place to have it. And then it just made it nice that they won the tournament. Um, you know, like with the Big West, you guys have had it, Hawaii, Long Beach, and those teams, I think all won the years that they hosted, if I'm not mistaken. But now it's what happens if somebody else hosts and they're not in it. So it gets a little bit messy in that regard if, if we go down that road and ultimately the coaches just voted to stay with the winner. Yep. Well, hey, let's move our conversation uh, forward to the NCAA championship weekend in Columbus, Ohio. Let's talk about some of the matches that caught your eyes during the week that are not the championship match. And I know that uh, half the faces on here were in there and uh, didn't quite advance. The other half just watched closely and bickered on text threads. So uh, um, let's let's start with Kevin on this one. Thoughts, uh, eye-catching match uh, that was not the championship match. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, you know, being in the Big West, you know, looking at the, the Big West teams. But, you know, I think we played 18 matches on the year. 11 of them were against either Hawaii or Santa Barbara. So I had seen those teams a lot. So I was very <laughs> excited to see some other teams. You know, I caught some teams just throughout the season, just pulling up and just watching a few matches through volumetrics. Um, but, you know, you didn't normally when I'm scouting, if I'm going to go play Pepperdine and they've played some Neva teams or you, you like, you get to see so many other teams just in your preparation. And so didn't have that this year when we played Big West conference play. So I, the semifinal with Lewis and BYU, I, I was really excited to, to see that and, you know, see the, you know, two highly ranked teams going at it. Um, obviously, uh, teams in two different conferences that hadn't seen each other during the year so that for me was a match I was pretty excited to see you know obviously prior to the finals yeah how about you Jay I'll be honest I thought the Lewis Penn State match intrigued me the most and not because I, I expected it which I did to be a high level match but I was really still a little bit confused as to how Penn State didn't run their middles that often uh, and Fisher and Wildman looked pedestrian almost against a giant block that Lewis puts up. I, I, I knew it was going to be a challenge. I knew it was going to be something they weren't used to seeing that often. 
Uh, but I thought Lewis did a real nice job of controlling those two. And, and although uh, there were some, there were some moments where, you know, Fisher was bringing some heat and Wildman was bringing some heat. I was also surprised by the level of serving. I thought it would have been a little bit higher from Penn state. I, I don't, I'll be honest with you. And I, and I still think, you know, Lewis wins the match, but I don't think Penn state played their best match um, of the year, but that's a credit to Lewis. They took them out of system and they took them out of their game that they used to. And for whatever reason, Penn state kind of ran out of gas and, uh, and, and Lewis moved on. And I thought that was the match that intrigued me the most. All right, let's go to uh, Dave. Yeah. The, the biggest one that stood out to me, similar to Kevin, we saw BYU about 12 times this year. Um, the biggest one to me is, how BYU didn't come close to playing their best volleyball in the entire tournament. Um, they looked, they looked real bad at times in terms of the standard that, that I had seen them play at and uh, could be playing in a new arena. could be playing against new opponents. I don't know. could be a big stage for some of those guys that haven't been there before. Um, and I, it's not taking anything away from the opponents that they played, but they were really, they didn't look in sync all tournament and that sort of, that sort of shocked me. So. All right. And finally, uh, Dan. Well, I was there in person. So I, I, as a volleyball fan, I enjoyed watching uh, Pepperdine and Santa Barbara just in person. I'd watched them both on TV, but there were some incredible extended rallies and defense. And just, there, there was some guys all the way at the end of the bleachers going after balls and bringing them back and, uh, so just when you're watching volleyball like that and the effort and the grind, it was a pretty fun match to watch in terms of plays and, you know, big swings and all that stuff that was going on. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's all move on to the championship match. Hawaii wins 3-0 and pretty authoritatively. And honestly, that was unexpected. But then I thought of tracking that team these last two years, even in 2019 through COVID now, I was like, well, they were on a mission, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, that, that championship match against BYU being that it was 3-0 and it just didn't seem like BYU had the fight in them in that, that, that final. So we'll start with you, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, obviously, having seen Hawaii play so many times, you know, I, I knew what they were capable of doing. Um, so how they played, they were really determined start to finish. And, um, you know, they established some leads, you know, in each of those games. And there's, you know, they, BYU made a few little runs late, but it, it really looked like Hawaii was just controlling that match start to finish and, and not having seen BYU uh, much at all kind of throughout the season and watched, you know, a little bit of the matches, you know, or the semifinal match leading up to that. Um, and obviously I know they're a very good team, but, you know, I was a little surprised by maybe that it didn't go more sets, but not surprised that just, you know, seeing Hawaii at that point and, and how uh, really just determined, you know, they were They're very disciplined on the court and, and I thought they ran a great offense and, and guys stepped up and made big plays for them. And they, uh, they earned the victory. Yep. Let's go to Dan on the uh, next one. Well, being that I played BYU and then BYU walking in Hawaii, I kind of knew if BYU didn't pass because I didn't think they particularly passed great, great against us and Hawaii just brought it. You know, and so you're watching that and they were off the net, they were struggling to pass. And that was the, the main thing in the game. And they couldn't really get out of that uh, in terms of, you know, finding any offensive flow. Um, and I, you know, credit to, you know, you want to blame anybody, blame Kevin. Kevin beats him. And then Hawaii comes in even more focused about this. We're losing, you know what I mean? And so, uh, and those guys were just ready to go. Yeah, you know, all business and went after it and, so credit to those guys by creating all that uh, from that side in terms of 
the pressure that they put on BYU. Yep. How about you, Jay? Yeah, no, I, I was going to mention, you know, sometimes a loss is a good loss. And I know Hawaii wanted to go undefeated. I mean, anybody does. That's, that's quite a special accomplishment to, to do. But when your team gets beaten in the semifinals of a conference that they're hosting, uh, that's some pretty big motivating factor right there. Uh, and so Hawaii did look determined. I think that was the right, that's the appropriate word for it. You know, the other thing is, is, is BYU's energy just didn't look like they expected to win from the moment, from the moment that the first whistle blew. It just looked like they were out of sync, almost like they were tired. Um, maybe they expected to win uh, because of their, their two or three big guys that they've got. I mean, you look across the board and they've got guys at each position that are really good and they just look mediocre. Uh, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, if they played like that, Belmont, I, Belmont Abbey might've beaten them, uh, that night because it, there might've been a little bit different motivation. So yeah, I was, I was kind of disappointed by BYU's performance and, and that's a credit to Hawaii. That's, that's not because BYU is a bad team and didn't deserve to be there. They absolutely deserve to be there, but Hawaii just really took it to them, uh, and hats off to them and, and Charlie and his crew and, and Josh Walker and all those guys, they, they do such a good job. Uh, bringing kids into that program and training them up and, and, you know, sending them off on the world. So good job to Hawaii. All right, Dave, anything to add? Yeah. I'm not going to go as far as, as Jay and say the Belmont Abbey would have beat BYU. <laughs> Don't forget about Milan. Uh, Milan is probably the key piece at, at Hawaii as well. So if he listens, he would be upset that you didn't mention him too. So <laughs> my um, bad. Sorry, Milan's argument. My yeah. bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what I you know what, what stood out to me, yeah, Hawaii played exceptionally well. Hawaii played just like they had played in the semifinal. BYU played like they had played in the semifinal, and you saw the result. But both teams served the ball in and served it in real aggressively. Um, you know, BYU didn't serve it great, but uh, they both had, what, 11, 12 errors for the match. So um, I always get a little bit nervous because I think the product of volleyball looks real bad when teams are missing 17, 18, 19 serves in three sets. So... Um, I think why prove that you can serve the ball in aggressively and play good block defense around it and win a championship. Yeah. Well, the interesting stat line that I did see was Hawaii 10 aces versus BYU zero. And ironically enough, uh, Gabby ended up falling short of Taylor Sanders BYU record by two serves. He got zero aces in that final. And they'd been talking about the semi, how he had gotten two and was within striking distance of that record. So you know, Yakub Tella hit four aces, Parapunov and Cowell hit the other three at each. So um, Hawaii had the heat going. Uh, wanted to come uh, see what you guys thought about their serving performance because that was, you know, the hitting percentage 381, 263, but BYU kind of bounced out with blocking, defense, or digging in. But that was the stat line that separated in my eyes. But I wanted to get your guys' thoughts being that you are in the game, guys. And we'll start with you, Kev. No, I think... Uh... For sure, serving was huge in that match. And, you know, you, you talk about the aces that Hawaii had, sort of the lack of aces for BYU. But even beyond the aces by Hawaii, I mean, they just got a lot of serves where they very much limited, I think, BYU's offense, you know, down to just maybe one attacker, some out-of-system swings. And, and Hawaii did a great job of, you know, transition blocking defense and converting that into, you know, quality swings uh, in transition. So, yeah, I, th I thought service – pressure was huge in that match and uh, Hawaii won that for sure. Go to Dan. 
Well, I think it's some two lefties for sure. You want to talk about more than half the races that came out of the two lefties serving. And I don't know if the MPSF has very many lefties that are serving with the pace that those two guys are doing. And that was, you know, something that that had to be an adjustment for BYU. And you got two guys just bringing it and not missing it very much. Uh, so that certainly is, I think, a, a huge catalyst, not to mention what Kevin said, like those two lefties, I'd be, I don't know this off the top of my head. Dave's probably got it, but what they, how many serves they had and what they point scored the two lefties in those two rows has to be pretty high uh, and pretty efficient for those guys. So. Volley metrics. <laughs> All right, Jay, your thoughts. Uh, you know, Parapunov and, and, uh, and Gabby were hotly contested for player of the year. And there was a lot of arguments both directions. And I think Parapunov left no doubt that he was the guy that should have won it. And, you know, if anybody had any question marks, he definitely showed that he was the guy that night uh, that should have gotten player of the year and well-deserved. And how about you, Dave? Yeah, I, I just keep going back to a lot of times young servers, they score one or two points and they want to hit it harder. And what I saw from Hawaii was they kept consistent pressure on him. And some of those aces were not, you know, 72 miles an hour. You know, they were snapped to a guy or snapped between guys. And um, yeah, and then as Kevin was saying, it, it wasn't just the aces. It was all the times that they pulled him off very it, BYU's in system passing percentage was real low for that match, well below what they had played at all year. So credit to Hawaii for that. Yeah, they made Gabby hit a, a human hitting percentage in the 280s. So uh, that was kind of a shocker to see. But, you know, hats off to Hawaii on that serving performance. I wanted to uh, look forward uh, or look back at the 2021 season. Um, what did you guys see as a positive things in your eyes uh, that happened this unique <laughs> unprecedented those words that keep coming up but and we've had to deal with some adaptations changes and, and so forth so let's start with you kevin i mean just a positive just the ability to play i mean once uh i know like throughout you know last summer and then into the fall trying to figure out like what's our schedule going to look like i remember i mean david hunt and i had numerous conversations and you know we were talking about we'd love to schedule a match and was it going to happen or not or when we we're going to be allowed and he kept checking in with me and i appreciate that and you know, of course, and then, you know, the Big West, we go to, you know, just a conference schedule and, and a lot of the other conferences ended up kind of doing the same thing. So, but once we got a schedule in place and we were able to play a few sort of non-conference matches against other Big West opponents, we didn't lose a match, you know, we didn't have to cancel any matches at that point. Um, so all the protocols, you know, you have to go through, I mean, it, they, they work for us. Um, we got through our, a few early matches through our conference regular schedule and then you know the conference tournaments so just the ability to, to play and run it through a championship at the end of the year uh, I, I thought it was huge you know and, and after you know all these guys kind of lost out on that last year so I was very appreciative of the fact that you know all the effort by a lot of you know administration and medical staff and athletic training room and everything we go through to, to kind of make this happen and I think men's volleyball had a good run this year even though it was a shortened season yep. how about you Dan I think Kevin nailed it on the head. It's just the, the gratitude and appreciation that I have for administration, medical staff, everybody that put all the work in to find ways, our commissioner, everybody that had something to do with trying to help us have a season. And uh, there certainly were ups and downs for a lot of things, but everybody continued to forge ahead. And the NCAA championship committee had a new committee of five, the people that served on other committees, whether it be All-American or the voter polls or just all the things that went into 
allowing us to have a season, having this conversation right now, because a year ago at this time, we certainly weren't wondering if we were having a season. We were talking about other stuff. And so uh, I just, when I look back on the snapshot of what we were able to do and how we were to do it, uh, I, I'm pretty blessed. And, you know, you think about the COVID year and what we endured and all those things. And um, it's pretty awesome that this, we got to play a season and compete. And uh, I think a lot of teams uh, had a great year and did a lot of great things. So, yep. Jake, key word for me is adaptation. Uh, and I, and I would bet dollars to donuts that every one of these coaches on the screen in front of you talked about it with their teams and their team's ability to adapt to whatever was thrown in them, whether it was a different serving pastime than what was on their schedule, or maybe a different start time of a match, or maybe a little bit of a, challenge with travel to an opponent or maybe they had to deal with some COVID issues of their own whatever the case is you know the ability to be able to continue to play and get you know right the ship and, and and keep moving forward you know adaptation's huge and I think all the players that got a chance and the coaches that got a chance to be a part of this season they're going to have some some experience to draw from in the future when some challenges come up you know it's it's never going to be perfect you know every season's got it's ups and downs and it's got some issues that you got to deal with, but man, oh man, over the course of this year and, and Dan nailed it, all the people, the support staff and the people around us that, that worked tirelessly to be able to let us have a season and let us be able to go out and play and have fun and smile for a couple hours. That's pretty remarkable. So I think that for me is the real, the real positive of it all. And uh, Dave. Yeah. I, I want to echo that gratitude. Uh, sentiment. I, you know, me and our trainer are real close now. So I appreciate that, except it took me back to the days of, you know, your mom or dad would call you and you were somewhere you weren't supposed to be when you were younger. And, you know, you sort of have that feeling drop in your stomach. Every time our trainer called, I just, you know, I probably said a word that I shouldn't have said, but then, you know, hello, making sure nobody tested positive or anything like that. Um, and then actually, you know, Kevin alluded to it. I had a lot of coaching conversations or conversations with uh, fellow coaches. And we know that men's volleyball is a tight knit community. Uh, but I really value that I got to know a lot of the coaches better, uh, over all of, all of this, you know, dating all the way back from a year ago. So I'm actually really thankful for that. I, I'm a pretty reserved guy when I'm out recruiting. I don't say much. I've known, uh, Jay and Dan for a long time. So I say more to those guys than other people, but now I just, I feel like I, I have some closer friends in the coaching community, which is, uh, which is a cool thing. You always want to enjoy the people uh, that you're around when you're working, even when they're the competitors. So I'm thankful for that. Well, with that, I feel like I, I shouldn't even mention the negative part. Instead, I'll just go to the griping. I'll save that for the very end of this uh, episode here then. <laughs> the feel goods and the unicorns and all that are flying around me now. <laughs> let's, so <clears throat> let's go to 2022. Uh, what should we expect to see in 2022 with uh, numerous COVID seniors graduating and moving on. And I, I was thinking about, isn't there going like, to be a backlog of new faces, newcomers, plus your current recruits and guys who had to redshirt and do the COVID year thing? What's it going to look like come this, this 2022 season? We'll start with you, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, obviously with the cancellation of the season last year, it wasn't just the seniors last year that were able to stick around for another year. I mean, it was your freshmen through seniors last year that you know were granted that waiver that have that extra year that uh you know that that that's going to have an impact you know uh over the next few years in each program you're recruiting and now you've got an opportunity you, you know originally you think certain guys are going to you know graduate on a given year and then now maybe they're 
sticking around for that extra year, whether it's continuing their undergraduate degree um, or a, a graduate program. So that'll shape things kind of moving forward. You'll, you'll see some guys, you know, in these programs, maybe a little longer than you expected. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, some of the teams that were out there and you looked at, you know, Hawaii had some guys and Santa Barbara and I know some other programs did as well that now these guys are in fact seniors and will be graduating. So that you'll, you'll definitely see a, a new crop of um, players that maybe didn't play as much, you know, this year, um, you know, get court time. Um, you'll see some new guys out there, but still expecting a real high level uh, competition next year. How about you, Dan? What do you think? Yeah. Well, I certainly think you graduate. There's a, I got to say at least 10, 12, 13, 14 guys that are on that all America list that uh, are done. Uh, so there's certainly going to be a young crop of players that we already, some, some teams we see that we know of and some that we have no idea. Uh, so that'll be kind of exciting in terms of that. I think you'll see you know, Princeton and Harvard, those guys will be back <laughs> strong programs, which is uh, exciting uh, that they'll be back on the floor. And I'm not sure exactly who opted out and redshirted, but I know they got some pretty good pieces coming in and coming back from that standpoint. So, uh, and so I just, I think, it, it's exciting. It, it's kind of a, a kind of a refresh year. There's certainly some teams that are going to be on the top with the returning four groups, and there'll be some other teams that are either reloading or slash rebuilding in terms of that. And how do they come along? And so, and you're going to see conference play, which already all of us are scheduling. So that's exciting. Again, to kind of see some cross conference playing in terms of that and, and where the season goes, and hopefully a full season. You know, and crossing my fingers we're not in mass playing or any of that stuff when we get to that point and everything. So, but, uh, but yeah, uh, eager to get it. I think all of us are jumping into the recruiting boy boat, uh, June 1st. So that'll be a different grind in terms of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah. All right. How about you, Jay? You know, from a personal standpoint, I lost five of my seven starters to graduation. So my team is going to completely be different. Uh, the energy level in the gym is going to be different. The culture is going to be a little different. It's still got great kids, so don't get me wrong. But, you know, you have five pretty big personalities that are going to be outside of the gym now. And it's it's going to be a fun year of young guys. I have 20 guys on my roster and 16 of them are underclassmen. Uh, so it's going to be, you know, a learning curve of sorts. But that's, you know, how you kind of want to do it. You want to stagger it and be able to grow them up as they go. So uh, I think personally, you know, next year is going to be a lot of fun. We're probably going to win a few matches we shouldn't and probably going to lose a few matches we shouldn't, and we're going to have a lot of fun along the way. I think nationally, just the ability to hopefully get out and play other teams from other conferences, I'd, I'd hate to see everybody have to stay within conference next year again, and then we're back in this boat next year. I think I think the ability for us, you know, I know we've got, you know, Pepperdine and, and Irvine on the schedule next year. We're going out west, and I surely hope that in, in December I don't have to make a phone call and say, hey, we're no longer allowed to travel anymore because we got to stay in conference. But you know, that's the part I think that's going to be the most exciting is we're finally going to start to see some of that cross-pollination we talk about and, and be able to get a better sense of who where everybody sits uh, nationally. All right. How about you, Dave? Yeah, I think the volleyball is going to dip a little bit nationally just because on the whole, you had some pretty talented guys that were all fifth and sixth year guys. So I, that's not a... I'm not saying because all of a sudden it's going to be bad volleyball players. It's just guys that are more skilled. We're playing the game. I thought you saw pretty high levels of serving and passing uh, a lot of good defense, maybe because that's what some teams had to do for training for a chunk of training. So um, I think you're going to see a little bit of a dip, but then also, you know, there's going to be 
some people talking about, all right, this team's going to be good. That team's going to be good. And we talked about the beginning of this year, maybe in our first podcast, avoid all of that stuff. Cause you don't know who's been in the gym already for a year. You don't know who was red shirting. You don't know who's transferring in and all of those things change. Right. And I think we knew Hawaii was going to be good. BYU, Santa Barbara, but you know, our team was pretty young. Nobody in their right mind thought we were going to be in the national tournament after last year. So uh, I would just hold off and you just don't know who's been developing in these programs and who's ready to sort of jump in and, and sort of, you know, prove that they belong here too. So I think there's going to be some of that. So um, reserve or wait to, to start saying who people are think will be good in the upcoming years. Yeah. Well, one of my subtopics or two of them were uh, cross-conference play and in-person attendance. And you guys have alluded to you're already scheduling cross-conference matches um, and I will say from an in-person attendance standpoint, especially since California was still kind of locked down and not allowing fans, uh, UCI men's volleyball sent out a uh, social post yesterday saying they're selling season tickets for men's volleyball. So uh, um, I, was, I was excited to see that. Now, if it got loose, like a rogue person went out and sent that out, <laughs> I don't know, but that, that went out on social yesterday. So uh, I, I know I, I wanted to, to end positive and we still can, but there are, there are a couple topics that kind of, arose this week and uh you know one was yeah, we talked about the seating some people disagree the seatings we, we kind of referenced that in our last episode uh, but i wanted to see if, if uh um, maybe dan could just hit that really quick or if any of you feel uh you could just do a quick summary of the seating this year for the ncaa tournament yeah dan go yeah uh credit credit to the committee they found, they found the pieces that they needed to measure who needed to be where and do that stuff and Certainly there's always a team or two that's left out that probably deserves to be there that plays a certainly high level of volleyball. Uh, and that's always unfortunate. And I think Jay alluded that hopefully we can expand the tournament and maybe not have those teams. Uh, but I thought they, they, the seating worked out exactly how they had it seated. You know, and so they knew what they were doing and that's how it played out. And uh, so I thought they did a good job with that and, and the best of their ability. And yeah, the first time we had a five person committee, you know, Costi was on there and Ryan Boer was on there. So that was awesome. And, I had lots of dialogues with the committee, and so it's exciting to have five people on the committee and a couple of coaches who kind of know the sport and, and know teams. And so that was a another thing that probably helped out the committee in terms of that. Versus, I mean, certainly there's a couple of administrators that are volleyball. One's a volleyball player and volleyball fan, and but having two coaches is even better in the sense of that dialogue. But no, I thought the seating was good, and like I said, Roy, think about where we were ten years ago. There were four teams, not seven teams. Uh, you know, we're seven teams now and in five more years, we might be at eight, 10, 12. And so to be a part of the growth and where we're headed is fantastic. Well, the reason why I selected you, Dan, is because you have all those ABCA awards behind you. And I figured you kind of know something. <laughs> well, maybe. So some days more than others. So anything else to add, gentlemen? <clears throat> yeah. The, the beauty is if we go to 12 teams, and, and it's not going to happen next year. Let, let's let's put that out there in the ethos right now. All the volley talkers will start talking about, oh, next year we're going to have 12. We're not having 12 next year. But we could be at 12 in three to five years, maybe. They're um, not going to say we're going to 12. They're going to say Jay's crazy is what they're going to say. <laughs> that, they will. But, hey, in yeah. three to five years, don't be surprised that we're at 12. And the real reason behind that is the, growth, the conference growth expansion. There's, like I said, a couple of conferences out here that are looking to break off pretty quickly um and there's one that's in the and the SEAC is starting literally next year 
So that's three conferences within the next three to five years that will cause the expansion to have to happen because there's a certain percentage that you have to have AQs and a certain percentage you have to have of at-larges. When that happens, though, and this is what the point of my thing is, even though people are complaining about a team that didn't get in this year, when we have 12, or if we have 12, then the people are going to complain that we're 13th and 14th. And so it's never going to end. You're always going to have somebody upset. Part of the beauty of it, you can have the dialogue all day, but in the end of the in the end of things, the committees are going to do their job and everybody's going to have a spot that deserves to be there. Yep. Is that anything to add, David or Kevin? Nope. Uh, all right. Well, the other hot topic is this. <laughs> and I caught this because it's trending on Twitter and uh, you know, some people who are really into data started to, to collect some stuff. But, you know, obviously the NCAA Men's Division I-2 Championship Week occurred the same time as the uh, Collegiate Beach Championships in Gulf Shores. And uh, they did a comparison of coverage uh, just from Twitter. But for the most part, if you go across the social media platforms and the websites, it a very similar trend. But 164 tweets on three days of the Collegiate Beach Tournament six for men's division one two championship week and then if you look at the tv coverage every single duel and every single match within each duel in the collegiate beach tournament was on espn3 and as it got closer to the finals espn2 and then espn uh i guess it was an espnu uh for the men's it was first two rounds nca.com and then finally made it with barney and paul uh, onto the ESPN feed. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts as coaches as far as uh, what's happening with the marketing and on the men's side of things. And I hate to put such a hot topic in your laps, but I'll just say if any of you feel like they want to take it on, just, you know, jump in. Rob, yeah, Rob, I'll, I'll start off. Um, you saw it coming when the NCAA in December changed their Instagram and their uh their Twitter handles from NCAA volleyball to NCAA women's and beach volleyball, right? That's, they made that conscious change. You go on their Instagram page, they used to have men's volleyball, you know, we did a few takeovers, Instagram takeovers and, and stuff like that. They had had some posts and then they stopped. I'd say they did that feature where they replayed a lot of the national championships during COVID because they needed some content. And then they, you know, in December, they decided to do that. So that that's a conscious decision that, that the NCAA or whoever runs those, I don't know if it's the NCAA, but whoever runs those accounts made. And I, I think it's crap and I have stronger words to, to voice that. And the other thing, I think, it, I mean, I, I think all of us, none of us are going to run to Twitter and, and start, you know, bitching and complaining. But then I look at some of the women's coaches and some of the stuff they were getting upset about, you know, the Nebraska coach, the Wisconsin coach, like that's horse crap. Like they're over there complaining they didn't have 64 teams. They had to drop it down to 48 teams. We got our tournament canceled. They had theirs delayed. Like, come on, guys. Like, wake up, pull your head out of your ass. And it's infuriating. I I, I could go on for a while and in terms of that stuff. And um, unfortunately, you know, it's not the people that are helping run the championship. Like Ethan Walker, the guy that ran the championship, did an amazing job for men's volleyball. So he's not the one that's over there running the Twitter and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's, it's a bummer because it's, it's going the wrong way for sure. Yeah. Anything else, gentlemen? Well, I, I agree with a lot what Dave said. I think it's a little frustrating. I think that two different topics you're talking about, ESPN contract is different than the NCA stuff. And so the ESPN contract came a couple years ago. We're like, 
the semifinal rounds would be on NCA.com and the finals would be on an ESPN platform. Uh, and then the play-in rounds would be on the host institution, which we were fortunate enough to have Big Ten Plus, and they had some announcers and they did that stuff. So that was really great by Ohio State in setting that up. So, uh, so it's a bigger thing, and men's volleyball is such a small piece in that overall ESPN contract that was a few years ago. Um, and I'm not high enough up to know some of those ins and outs of that contract stuff that goes on with that. And certainly it'd be nice if we could get on the semifinals on ESPNU as well, because I think it's just as good a product of curling or ping pong or some of the other things that come up on in terms of that. But, but that's a bigger thing. I think with the NCAA, that kind of bothers me. I, I, I do sit on the board of directors with the AVCA and certainly a topic I'll bring up and see if there's any ins or outs that we can be like, hey, you know, you kind of consciously separated us on some of the social media stuff and credit to Vinny and off the block and some individual institutions and a lot of other people that are fans that were tweeting stuff and putting stuff out there to, to kind of help continue to grow the game. But we certainly want, we would want the NCAA on board with at least the championship piece of that and allowing for the Instagram takeovers and the videos and all the things that kind of go along with that. And so hopefully you can get that back on board. And that was just an oversight or a, a bad decision at that time in terms of that. Anything else, gentlemen? Yeah, no, I, I, I echo both of their sentiments. Somebody dropped the ball big time. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about in an earlier episode was the men's coaches need to take a page out of the women's coaches' notebooks and start raising our voice a little bit more. You know, I, I, we don't necessarily need to be yelling and screaming and, and carry torches and go to, their, go to their buildings and threaten to burn it down. But we definitely need to be speaking up a little bit louder. That's unacceptable. Our product is really good. We're expanding. We're the fastest expanding collegiate sport right now. Let that sink into the NCAA's minds. We are growing at a rate that is faster than any other sport right now. And we need to be taken seriously. And we've been the redheaded stepchild. And again, no offense to the redheads out there, but we've been the redheaded stepchild of women's volleyball forever. And it's time that we stop allowing ourselves to be that and start stepping out of the shadows a little bit and saying, Hey, we deserve to be at the table. We deserve to be treated equally. Uh, you know, the women, uh, the basketball tournament complain about not having weights, uh, weight rooms at the level that the men's tournament does. Well, we need to be having the social media presence that the women's teams have. That's plain and simple. Uh, and so, you know, when we start doing that, we start speaking up, you know, we might get a little pushback at first, but somewhere down the line, it's going to loosen up some, some people's minds and they're going to start doing what we expect them to do. Hey, a quick uh, just add on, and people don't know this that are probably listening to this. So like when the champ the championship expanded in 2014 and you were a play-in game, uh, it was like it didn't exist. They didn't even put NCAA signage up. They wouldn't put the signage up. You didn't get a momentum. So at least like credit to Ethan Walker and that group that we talk about. Like now when you go and you're in this play-in, and that was one neat, neat thing about Belmont Abbey being there, they got to experience that as well, that all the signage is up. Everybody got some type of memento that made you feel part of the championship experience. And I know it's a little off topic, but just that has slowly changed. And I think it's a credit to that committee and Ethan Walker and everything by changing that. So, yeah. You know, and I, I was talking about these viral things, right? That were on. I saw somebody compare, hey, here's what men's basketball got in their little swag bag that all these athletes got and all this stuff. I, I told our guys they should take a picture of that cool Powerade water bottle that they got, you know, inside their backpack. I mean, it just drives me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for our guys to 
to go on and, and start doing that stuff. And do I think the athletes need a bunch more stuff? No, I don't think they do. But I thought it was ridiculous that people were great. Oh, look at this. Look what this person was given. I'd love to see what you know the women were given in Omaha uh, and see if it was just one water bottle. And oh, I think our guys got a little bit of an inflatable ball that they sell at the, the club tournaments. But And sanitizer. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's plenty of that nowadays too. Well, I'm gonna brag on the 2008 national championship that's hosted at UC Irvine because we actually threw in a pair of uh, rainbow sandals. Yeah, right back. So, uh, <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I think the schools have that are hosting have something to do with that yeah. purchasing as well. It's not the NCAA that is yeah. making those purchases, but the host schools. And, and the, the, it's funny you mentioned that, Rob, because people talk about that all the time. The, the school that's hosting should add something with a little bit of flavor from the town that they're in. You know, I mean, if you're at UC Irvine, a pair of rainbow flip-flops, are you kidding me? That's the coolest gift ever. You know, maybe a beach chair if it's held at, you know, UC Santa Cruz. How cool would that be? Got a little plug in there for my, for my alma mater, by the way. <laughs> well, Next year, I could see a lot of extra Under Armour gear being thrown in the bags just randomly, you know, it being at UCLA. I hear that's just sitting around. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, gentlemen, I think that's a good spot to end. Uh, but uh, I know that your teams are getting back onto the grind. Actually, Kevin and I ran into a little birdie of yours and I said, yeah, I got to drive back down. We're, we're back in the gym already. So, <laughs> um, gentlemen, um, I'm looking forward to what the 2022 season is going to bring. And I cannot thank you all for uh, your time and your efforts to season. It's made such an entertaining year. And, and uh, Kevin, for coming on and representing the Big West and Hopefully I can get a more regular Big West person on. Nip is offered, Al's offered, and now you and, and Rick was on last week, but we couldn't have him on at the same time as David since they're playing each other. So, you know, just happened to work out that, uh, you know, we're going to bring other conferences. Maybe the next expansion is <laughs> Conference Carolinas. Maybe I can get connected to someone there and get them all on board. And and uh, we'll see in the SIAC being the new conference. But um, guys, it's phenomenal work this season, not only um, here on the, the podcast, but on your teams. It's made such an incredible season. I love seeing the, the competition, uh, even though it was shortened preseason and training. But I mean, to me, it was still great fall. So excellent teams. Uh, appreciate your time and efforts this year, gentlemen. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Viral Volley Podcast podcast. Be sure to follow Rob at Rob on the Mic on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or at RobOnTheMic.com. Check you next time.